Morning, everyone. Morning. Welcome to our service this morning here in uh, Baldwin Swamp Nature Reserve. It's lovely to see all of your smiling faces and a special word of welcome to those who are uh, logging in through the live stream. The, uh, we're going to be singing a couple of songs uh, today, one at the beginning and a couple at the end of the sermon as well as we move more closer into what we used to with worship. We figure after the state of origin and uh, we, we can pretty much sing a song out here in the open. But uh, friends, it's great to be together and a special word of welcome if you've not been with us this morning. It's good to see you. And uh, likewise, if you are logging in for the first time on Bundaberg's site, welcome to you. If you're listening through the podcasts or any other means, uh, know that you are part of the fellowship, even if it may not be at exactly the same time. God's Spirit is above time and space, and He binds us all together. Just so that you know, I'm not on my own. Can you all say good morning to the people watching? Good morning. Good morning. That's great. Oh, did you hear that? They all say good morning back. <laughs> Welcome to my world for the last five months. We're going to sing, Into Your Courts We Come. Almighty God, the words of that song are so apt and true for each one of us today. As we've gathered together in this beautiful nature reserve to worship you and to praise your holy name. Lord, we know that your courts are not simply the four walls of a church. You are not bound by any building and if COVID has taught us anything, it's that the church isn't the bricks and cement that we we find to be so important. But the church is the people. The courts of yours is the whole world. And as John Wesley said, the world is our parish. People we come into contact with are those whom we minister to and those who we reach out to with the love of Jesus Christ. 
And so, Lord, as we gather in this nature reserve, it is into your courts that we come. And it is with hearts that long to worship you that we come and praise your holy name. We pray, Lord God, that each part of the service may be glorifying to you. That what we bring today may be a sweet and fragrant offering. That you, Lord, enjoy every minute of our worship. And that we find ourselves in lifting our voices, being drawn deeper into the very presence of God. May your name be praised. May you be exalted, we pray, not only here in this place, but in each place we find ourselves in this coming week. We ask these things in and through the precious name of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ, who taught us when we pray to say, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Save us from the time of trial and deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. And the peace of the Lord be with you, friends. And also Thank you. And you can turn around to those nearby, but with a socially distant appropriate, greet them with the peace of the Lord as well. If you can bump an elbow, do that. Friends, just uh, <clears throat> a couple of notices to mention. The um, the church congregation meeting after the service, which will be held straight away um, after the service. Maybe we'd have some morning tea first, and then uh, have a short congregational meeting. We promise not to keep you here for too long. And then also just to uh, thank the team who have been part of putting this whole service together. I'm not going to mention names because I will forget someone, but they all know who they are, including the worship team who have put in time and practice. And uh, we just thank each one of them for uh, the time and effort and the extra work that goes into holding a service here. Should we give them a round of applause? We continue with our um, series in Philippians and we're going to be finishing it off uh, today. Ray took us through uh, the last part of the third chapter of Philippians as he spoke about ambitions last week and thank you Ray for leading that service for us. Today we look at Paul's closing of this letter from Philippians chapter 4 and we read the whole chapter. If you're following in your Bibles, Philippians chapter 4. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. I plead with Euodia and with Sintash to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, I ask you, my true companion, 
Help these women since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at, le at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Yet it was good of you to share my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire your gifts, what I desire is that more be credited to your account. I have received full payment and have more than enough. I am amply supplied. Now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts that you sent, they are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be all the glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet all God's people in Christ Jesus. The brothers and sisters who are with me send greetings. All God's people here send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you, be with your spirit. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. As offerings have been put into uh, the bank account and some have been brought into the office and some have been brought here this morning, let us bring those offerings to God and dedicate them to him. Let us pray. Lord God, we thank you for the privilege of being able to give gifts to you. We pray and ask that you would receive them from loving, grateful hearts that give them. In whatever way they have been contributed, Lord, we thank you for this opportunity to show our love for you. And we ask, Lord, that those gifts would be used to show your love to others. We commit them to you, as well as the work of our church, the people we represent, the lives that we hope to touch. In the precious name of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Amen. 
Friends, as we continue with our service, if uh, you're following on your Facebook live feed, uh, please feel free to comment, please feel free to uh, interact with us, use the reaction buttons, um, especially if you're at home and would like to pop a question or a comment in there, please go ahead. The more you comment or the more reaction buttons you get, the, uh, the better it is in terms of making that live feed known uh, across Facebook. That's how the system works. So please tell us where you're watching from, let us know who you are, and, uh, and use those reaction buttons. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable and pleasing in your sight. God, our Redeemer, Savior, and Friend. Amen. Nobody likes to say goodbye. The days, uh, the days where we've had to say goodbye to family at the airport, not knowing when uh, we'll see them again, um, those are easily some of the, the toughest, most difficult days uh, of my life. And uh, when you go through goodbyes like that, you, you get on the airplane or whatever, and you console yourself with the words, believe it or not, of Winnie the Pooh, who said, how lucky am I to have something that makes saying goodbye so hard. But it is still tough. It's made a little easier by the fact that today we have Facebook and FaceTime and Messenger and, and Zoom and WhatsApp. And, and you know that you'll still be able to see each other even if you can't necessarily get together. But imagine how tough it would have been in Paul's time. Imagine for Paul, leaving ones that he loved, that he cherished, this beloved church, and not knowing when he'll see them again, if he'll see them again. No FaceTime, no telephones even, no texts, no WhatsApp, no emails, nothing. Just letters. As I've said a number of times in this series, Paul is actually writing this letter from Rome where he's in prison. He's either in prison or under house arrest. Either way, it's not looking very good for him. Paul is an intelligent person. He was involved in the political scene before his conversion. He knows how these things work, and he knows that there's a very good chance that he's never going to make it back to Philippi. There's even a chance that he may already be executed by the time these people get his letter. Now, when we say goodbye, we try and say the important stuff last. The very last thing you want a person to know is, is perhaps the most important. And so, so for our family, as uh, we're heading through the airport gates, there is definitely somebody saying, I love you, love you. That's the last thing you really want them to hear. Hopefully, you know, you know even though you know you're going to speak to them soon, you just want to say the most important thing last. Now imagine the same situation for Paul. The last thing that he'll be saying to his beloved church in Philippi is this part of his letter. And what does he tell them? He tells them to be committed to Christ. He ends off this beautiful letter, some of the most wonderful uh, verses in all of Scripture that we've looked at over the lo these last five or six weeks. He ends this off by saying, Whatever happens, whatever will take place, remember this. Stand firm in Christ. 
Remain committed to him. Therefore, listen to the love in this, in this verse. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm in the Lord this way, dear friends. So as we look at the series as a whole, last week, as I said, Ray took us through Paul's ambition and how that translates into an ambition for us to, to know Christ more. And as we end off the series, we see that Paul closes this letter with a call to turn that ambition into a solid commitment. This is, lastly, a letter of commitment. Right throughout the series, we've seen it's been a letter of encouragement, a letter of purpose, a letter of instruction, a letter of responsibility, a letter of confidence, a letter of ambition, and rounding it off, a call to commitment. And with this final chapter, Paul deals with some specific issues to the Philippian church. So I'll just touch briefly on, on, uh, on a couple of issues he has with, with people he mentions by name, some personality clashes that threaten to divide the church. He calls them to remember his teaching and to remember his example. He then at the end thanks the Philippians uh, for their generosity and commends their giving heart. Not because he needs anything, but because being generous is Christ-like. He even has one of the most uh, popular verses in all of scripture slipped into that last little passage where he says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But the main thrust of this last chapter, the emphasis of the goodbye, the importance of the final statement is really verses four to nine. Listen again. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. These are the key verses of his goodbye. And through these words, Paul spells out the need, the importance, and also the how to be committed to Christ. He says, firstly, enjoy Christ. Rejoice in the Lord always, and I will say it again, rejoice. I'm always amazed that Paul writes this letter from prison, knowing full well the dangers and the persecution that lies ahead from him and, uh, and for the Philippians. But he says with this great confidence, rejoice in the Lord. In fact, if you go through Philippians and you read all the times he says it, this is the 16th time in this letter that he says this. So you can see how important it is for him to say to them, I've said this before, you've heard me say it, but before I sign off, before I go one last time, let me tell you, rejoice in the Lord. Facing what he's facing, it's as if Paul says to them, I have thought of everything that can possibly happen, and I'm still going to tell you to rejoice in the Lord. How is that possible? Well, because the Christian's joy doesn't come from our external circumstances. 
It doesn't come from the things that do or don't happen to us in this world. The joy of the Christian has its source in the continual presence of Jesus Christ. The fact that no matter what happens, what we go through, we never ever face it alone. We never deal with it in our own strength. We are never left isolated because Christ is always there. And in that, we rejoice. The presence of God doesn't miraculously give you a wonderful, easy uh, trip through life. It doesn't take away everything when it's not going your way. Nobody has a life like that. Nobody has a life without difficulties and without problems. But no matter what happens for us, there is always the presence of Christ. I cannot tell you how many times I have uh, faced a situation in ministry where you journey through a difficult moment with, with a family or with a person or with a group of people. And, and I've often thought to myself, I wonder how on earth people without a faith manage to navigate something like this when life throws it at you. And of course the answer to that question is quite simple. They don't. They manage it with a great deal more heartache. They often don't manage it with any degree of success at all. But the ability to rejoice, the ability to see the positive in things, the ability to look at the presence of Christ is an essential part of being a committed Christian. And it's a lot more, friends, than just being optimistic about something. There's a saying, the optimist sees the donut, the pessimist sees the hole, and the realist sees the price tag. Well... I want to tell you, we used to live near a bakery in South Africa. And they actually, I kid you not, they sold donut holes. They really did. And the nearest thing I could figure it, what they did was they made the donut, and then they punched out the middle section, and then they deep fried that and coated it with cinnamon and sugar. And then they sold them by the boxful donut holes. And for a long time I told myself that I could eat as many of them as I liked. Because you're really only eating the whole. <laughs> you're not actually eating anything at all. There's nothing to it. Unfortunately, uh, the scale revealed the depth of my deception. Or rather, the scale didn't reveal it because when I looked down I couldn't see the numbers anymore. <clears throat> this isn't about just seeing the donut and looking for the positive in a bad situation. It's not just optimism. This is about our joy in the presence of Jesus with us. It's beyond, above and beyond every circumstance. It's the knowledge of the fact that no matter what we face, Christ has already won. And no matter what happens, there is strength. There is hope. And as Paul says, there is peace that is found in him. And so he says to them, before I go, to be committed, rejoice in the Lord. Enjoy the presence of Jesus Christ. But he says, secondly, firstly, enjoy the presence of Christ. Secondly, you are to expect Christ. Expect the presence of Jesus. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. I once heard a traffic officer tell a story of a person that he caught for reckless driving. This person was speeding and went right through a stop sign without stopping. And I just want to be clear that it's not me, okay? <laughs> it's not some, a friend of a friend. Anyway, the policeman stopped this man and said, 
you broke the law. Man said, yes, I did. He said, didn't you see the speed limit sign? I did see the sign, officer. And didn't you see your own speedometer? I did see my speedometer, officer. And didn't you see the stop sign? I did see the stop sign, officer. So he said, well, why didn't you stop? Because I didn't see you. (laughs) When Paul says the Lord is near, hopefully it's not with that sense of dread. But he's most likely meaning two things. One, that the Lord's The time of the Lord's coming is near. But secondly, and more importantly for us, that the Spirit of God is near. So the way we act, the way we behave, the way we live, the way we speak, the way we love, the way we forgive, should all be with the understanding that we do these things as if the presence of Christ is there with us because He is, even if you don't see Him. He's there. We live in the presence of Jesus. So let your gentleness be evident to all, says Paul. Now, that word for gentleness is very difficult to translate. Some commentators that I looked at in research in the sermon say there is no English equivalent. And if you look at all the different translations, all the different versions of Scripture that there are, they almost all use a completely different word. For that word gentleness. Let your gentleness be evident to all. Some of them say, let your patience, let your softness, let your kindness, let your forgiveness, let your forbearance, let your gracefulness. Eugene Peterson, in his paraphrase, translates the whole verse like this. He says, celebrate God all day, every day. I mean, revel in Him. Make it as clear as you can to all that you meet that you're on their side. That's his translation of that gentleness. Make it as clear as you can that you're on their side, working with them, not against them. Help them see that the Master is about to arrive. He could show up at any minute. To be committed, to stand firm in the Lord, as Paul says to the Philippians, is at all times to remember that the Lord is near. To expect Him. To see Him. It's to know that what we do and how we act, He sees. And accordingly, We should act that then in a Christ-like way, with love and kindness and forgiveness and gentleness and patience and grace. Maybe, Maybe there's a good reason it's such a difficult word to translate, because maybe it isn't meant to just be one thing. Maybe it's meant to be an attitude or a way of living where we recognize that all around us is the very presence of Jesus. We expect Christ. And thirdly, Paul says, to be committed... We must trust Christ. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Of all the things Paul asks, I think for us this has to be probably the hardest to actually do. Because we live lives of worry. We are geared to worry about things. And why shouldn't we? Have you watched the news bulletin lately? Is there anything on it that you don't worry about? We should all be worried about COVID. And then we should all be worried about whether or not they're going to find a vaccine. But now that they're looking like they're finding a vaccine, we should all be worried about whether it's going to be a good enough vaccine. No sooner have they got a vaccine and we'll be told that it's safe, but it's, it's only 95% safe. So, so who's in that 5%? Well, I'm worried it might be me. 
And then we can worry about the fact that democracy seems to be dying 15,000 kilometers away. I mean, really, 15,000 kilometers away, but, but the whole world is worrying about it. Then we worry about our economy. And we worry about our retirement savings, or rather, lack thereof. <laughs> we can worry about fires, and cyclones, and floods. Is it a wonder that any one of us are sane? I remember when we were about a month or so into the, the kind of lockdown that we had here in Queensland, and um, we actually took an active decision in our house over dinner table one night. We said, only one of the five of us needs to watch the news. It had to be me or Debbie, just to let you know. <laughs> only, only one of us needed to watch the news. And then only once a day. Only once a day. Because it was on 24 hours a day. COVID, watch this. COVID, watch that. The whole time you can be... And now it's, it's just changed. It's election watch now. You're watching the elections. Enough already. Enough is enough. All the time, at every turn, the world says to us, you should be worrying. And Paul says, no, you shouldn't. Paul says, if you want to stand firm, if you want to be committed to Christ, then do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition and with thanksgiving, you present your requests to God. You give them over to Him. And then the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. When we were in Sunday school, I don't know if it's the same over here, we used to sing this really old song, Why worry when you can pray? Trust Jesus. Do you know it? He will lead the way. The hymn writer says, Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus. To be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. At the end of the sermon, we're going to sing a song, a song called Still. And the chorus is, When the oceans rise and the thunders roar, when everything around you is going absolutely crazy, I will soar with you above the storm, because you are king over the flood. So I will be still, and I will know that you are God. When we don't hand things over, when we don't give them over to God, it, it actually indicates a lack of trust. It's, a, it's almost a sense in which we're saying, you know what, you're not really God over this. Because you've told me to leave it in your hands and I keep taking it back. Paul says, in the storms of life, trust God. And you will have a peace that defies logic and understanding, transcends all understanding. How? By giving them to Him in prayer, in every situation. There are so many times in life when we go through things, and when we do, it's such a blessing to be able to have someone to talk to about it. It isn't that you expect that person to, to wave a magic wand and fix everything, but the very fact that someone else knows brings a little bit of comfort and a little bit of peace. Is that your same experience? I find that when I'm struggling with something, to talk to someone and just having someone else knowing is a source of peace and comfort. Well, how much more so when that someone else is God Almighty, inviting you through prayer to leave all things at His feet, to let go of the worry, knowing that He is there with us.
and to find in him the sense of peace. Being committed to God, says Paul, is being able to trust Christ. And as he ends, he closes with this beautiful piece of wisdom. Immerse yourself in Christ. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice and the God of peace will be with you. I wonder if when they read this, they would have thought about the fact that when, when Paul was in their jail, he was singing hymns and praising God. And even when the chance came to escape, he remained behind and worshipped. Paul urges us to set our minds on the right things. Truth as opposed to lies. Things which are noble and good and pure and admirable and wonderful. Things that are excellent and praiseworthy. It's hard to do because there is so much in this world that that is quite different from all of those things. But Paul says, actually, you've got to take control. You're in control of what you focus on. You're in control of what you take in. Martin Luther had this great saying. He said, you can't stop a bird flying overhead, but you can stop it nesting in your hair. Fill your mind with these things, says Paul, and your commitment will be strong. And so Paul's beautiful letter to the Philippians draws to a close, but not before he emphasizes what he feels is so important like we all do just before we say goodbye. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy, my crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. Remain committed to God, enjoying Christ, expecting Christ, trusting Christ, and immersing yourself in Christ. And the peace of God, which is above all understanding, will fill your hearts. Amen. As our prayer, we're going to sing together that song still. Hide me now under your wings. Cover me within your mighty hand. When the oceans rise and the thunders roar, I will soar with you above the storm.
bring before you all of those situations where, where we have not trusted you. All of those moments where we have not enjoyed your presence and rejoiced in your presence, even though what we face has been difficult. We bring before you those moments where we have lived as if you have not been around at all. At times, Lord God, when instead of immersing ourselves in you, we have rather immersed ourselves in some of the nonsense that the world puts before us. In all of these things, we ask for your forgiveness and thank you that you are a loving God who, who reaches out and wraps your arms of love and grace around us, who longs to bring us the peace we desire. And so we pray, Lord, for that peace to come upon us this morning. And in each situation that we face, in everything that we go through, and in the situations that, that concern us for loved ones and friends. And we ask, Lord, that the peace that transcends all understanding will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. When the oceans rise and the
the Lord bless and keep you. May the Lord make His face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift, the Lord turn His face toward you and give you His peace. Amen. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.